Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Well, hello. It's the end of the week, almost. Not that I'm looking forward to the end of the week. No, by no means. It's been an interesting week, though. Uh, all right, so uh, this is time for the news. Here in studio with us, uh, Tanisha Dugan, uh, producing associate at TheaterWorks. Tracy Wu Fastenberg, director of development at Covenant, Pre- Covenant, I can't say it, Covenant Preparatory School. And Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, we'll be here all day. Car- actress, <laughs> comedian, dancer, founder, director, choreographer of Kinetic Dance, and that's just... Scraping the tip of the iceberg. All right, so uh, a little bit later in the show today, we're going to talk about Mindhunter. That's a new series on on Netflix. Uh, I could tell you who the stars of Mindhunter are, but their names would mean absolutely nothing to you, probably. Unless um, you're a Broadway person. Unless right? you're a Broadway yeah, person, right? Yeah, absolutely, Broadway. you're a Broadway person. <laughs> um, and uh, but before we do that, we've got a couple of other topics here in the first segment. We are going to talk uh, in, in just a bit about a new new offering from Amazon, which feels that they are not sufficiently embedded in your life yet. Uh, We'll tell you what that is in just a second. But we're going to begin in February or so of next year. Uh, The Super Bowl will happen. There will be a halftime show, as there always is. Uh, The NFL has now invited Justin Timberlake to be the performer, or perhaps a performer, uh, at the halftime show, which wouldn't be all that interesting, except that, of course, 13 years ago, the world was set on its collective ear uh, although I've never quite figured out why, uh, but there was, of course, the famous wardrobe malfunction and involved in the then very young Justin Timberlake uh, and Janet Jackson. So obviously one of the big questions is, well, if Justin Timberlake can be rehabilitated and invited back to the Super Bowl, uh, and he being, when you really get down to it, the bodice ripper, um, <laughs> can the rippy also be invited? Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, and so, um, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, I'm going to have you sort of kick this off uh, for. I mean, I'm also trying to remember, like, you guys are all kind of young. I don't know. Like, how old were you guys in 2000, <laughs> 2004? Thank you. Uh, 2004. I was freshly 20, out of college. Yeah, 24. I, right. Yeah, I was like in college. <laughs> right. So. I mean, I sort of lived through this whole thing as a CBS employee, so it was very. Uh, like I, my battle scars are very different from yours. But, um, <laughs> Mine uh, was it's a boob. Like right. yeah, <laughs> it's a boob. And I mean, I I am a performer, so mm-hmm. I mean, it happens. Right. It's happened and like to me. you said, it's, I don't think no one really saw the boob yeah. as it was actually happening. Right. It was the posthumous boob. <laughs> right. I mean, it really if it had happened before people had the capacity and people were using I think video cassettes at that point as opposed to DVRs, mm-hmm. if people didn't have the capacity to tape things and rewind them, you know, on a pretty large scale. I'm not sure we would have even known about this. I certainly was watching that halftime show. I had no clue that anything like that had happened. Okay. I mean, I actually went searching for like a YouTube video or something because I was like, I can't exactly remember. I remember seeing it on the cover of like you know, people or whatever. And of course they had yeah, I stuff remember out the picture and everything. of like her. Yeah. And that's all moment. you can find. You can't really find like somebody. If you squint really hard, you, you can might. See, can yeah. you see? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, all right. So let's. You can see more detail. Yes. But, you but know, you don't, squint. you don't see a whole lot of like 27,000 YouTube videos that people uploaded then of it. So I feel like it's, it's sort of a. We're making a big deal out of well, nothing, guys. Uh, let me let me do a poll uh, because I, I find people are not in agreement about this. Um, inten- intentional or not intentional? You intentional. 
I think Maybe not, not both parties, but okay. I, I think one was intentional. Do you think that was rehearsed? Tiebreaker. Uh, I, I I think like it was not intentional for the nipple to be exposed, but I think that there was like something maybe that was supposed to happen. Like right. I, I, I thought maybe it was like a tearaway costume that went wrong. Right. So maybe like more things got torn away than right. had been... That that's a probably about where I am too. I mean, apparently in the control room, uh, Wolfie and uh, McPants are both saying totally intentional, <laughs> totally planned. So I, I'm, I think I'm. Yeah, in the but b- she's not that good of an actor, and I love to see her <laughs> act. But like her face, her face was so genuinely like, like <laughs> appalled, shocked as it, it yeah. happens when you have but, a. Real... But that's why I'm wondering if it might have been intentional on one side. Wait a minute, it are was... you putting down her performance in the Crumps? Because I won't have that. All right. Did you see the crumbs? Um, Eddie Murphy, thank you. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, the other question about this was, okay, so there's a whole there are a whole bunch of narratives that went around along with this at the time, and so one of them was um, that in some way Janet Jackson was blamed for it in a way that Justin Timberlake wasn't. There are people who also think that maybe it was Janet Jackson's plan. Uh, there are other people who think, well, no, it's sort of blame the woman or blame the person of color or blame the woman of color and not the white guy. And I don't know. What do we, what do we think of all that? Tanisha, I kind of know already what you think of all You do. <laughs> you don't, yeah. but you think you do. Well, I was based, on, based on the emails we exchanged. Well, that first thing was about mm. who is the, the greater icon, which is sort of what I took away, which is probably unintentional. Mm. But, my, but I was sort of like, mm, Icon status, Janet or Justin, that just seems like an odd uh, comparison to make. But I think, you know, Janet is, I I think that black female sexuality is a very difficult thing for America to take. And when Mm -hmm. they see it, they just don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even whether intentional or not, there's a lot wrapped up in black female breasts from, you know, feeding a nation (laughs) to... um, not to bring up Harvey Weinstein, but to but to this kind of awkward, uncomfortable, uh, violent history. Um, so I think that that is subconsciously embedded in this conversation ultimately. And I think that's why in our emails when I was like, we all know what this is about. I mean, we do. Mm-hmm. We don't want to say we do, but we know what it is. No. Um, that's kind of where I come from, where like we know what this is. And uh, of course he's going to be uh, allevi- alleviated of any pain having dealt with that uh, non-issue um, and that she'll be carrying that burden because that's just that's just what it is. Well, well it's also yeah. her body. Mm-hmm. You know, it's her body that was exposed. She's mm-hmm. going to have to deal with it on that level as well. Mm-hmm. And also I wonder if, it, if age comes into play at all because he was very young mm-hmm. and, you know, she was a full-grown woman at that point. And so it's probably easier to blame the full-grown woman of color than the young you know, precocious, yeah. Disney kid. Exactly. Right. For a perspective, he was 23, she was 38. Um, they so, could be dating. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I mean, so Carolyn, uh, w- w- one way that we can sort of figure out how the NFL, and the NFL, by the way, is they're the people in charge of Ugh. the of the halftime show. Um, <laughs> Great. It's not, it was not CBS. CBS is just in charge of the telecast. So uh, CBS got the $550,000 fine, which I might add, they never had to pay. Um, it, but we know how the NFL processed this because we know what they did for the next seven years, which is they had like old white men on stage with the exception of Prince. Two years after 
the nipplegate or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> Prince was the halftime act. But other than that, it was like Paul McCartney, Bruce Springsteen, The Who. I mean, a lot of these people aren't even from countries where they previously had football, although, of course, they do now. And, but it was, it was, they, they invited men. Uh, Fergie, I think, uh, in 2011 was the next woman to get up uh, on that stage uh, with the Black Eyed Peas. And that was a horrible price to pay, as far as I was concerned, for any kind of pop redemption that the Black Eyed Peas were the, half, the halftime show. But, but never mind. I mean, I, I, in some ways, I think, yeah, it's hard to separate woman of color from woman or person of color from woman of color. But there was something about the, they didn't want any women on stage for a long time, you know. Oh, because boobs are scary. Yeah. Cause I, I guess, what did they think? This was going to become like a trend? Like everyone was going <laughs> to line up to expose their nipple in the Super Bowl halftime show? Almost a spit take just then. <laughs> that, that was, was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that's such an interesting stat. I guess I never really paid attention mm. to who was really the halftime show. Yeah. It was just yeah, like, hey. The you, Super Bowl is so low down on my like radar of things I'm except for Left Shark. I remember you loved Left Shark. I yeah. do love Left Shark, <laughs> and like honestly, like Left Shark, I would hire for a second as a dancer in any show I'm doing. In some ways, if it took all of this just to get us Left Shark, it was worth all the time. <laughs> I agree, but I think ultimately what we're talking about is the NFL as a, as family fair, and sexuality is not family fair, and so we feel like male sexuality is not um, sexual without being able to explain it in, in a different way, but that we don't have to sort of shield our children's eyes or be concerned while we're all drinking beer and eating wings and really half paying attention uh, while our kids are sitting in front of the TV, that we don't have to worry about what may come up if it is a man, which is just an awkward, weird... Yeah, because then there was that year sense. that Madonna... Did it mm-hmm. right, which was for, which was some distance from right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was might have been 2013, 2014, something like that. Somewhere around there, and you know, she just had herself surrounded by all these sexy young men, and she was there like, you know, a Beniva commercial for arthritis medication, <laughs> trying to dance around these like sexy young men. But you don't often see the reverse of that. Like, I don't think right, if if right. you were a male artist, if Justin Timberlake was like my plan. Uh, 30 sexy women dancing around me. They'd probably be like, let's pump the brakes. How clothed are they? Yeah. I mean, it's all sewn up. Is everything covered? (laughs) 30 sexy women that I'm going to run by and reveal each one of them. iconic music video? With the girls and the guitars. Oh, with the... Robert Palmer? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there is precedent there, but right. maybe not for... Uh, right. That's what well, I'm saying. I, mean, I feel like the Super Bowl... Show. I mean, since, since that time, there have been another number of notable women performances. And of course, Beyonce debuted Formation mm-hmm. at the Super Bowl halftime mm-hmm. show. And there was some pushback there in places like God, you know, I Fox mean, News. And could like you that. imagine... Her doing that show after this whole, you know, first half of the season and the national anthem yeah. debacle. Like, there is no way that she would be allowed to do any portion of Lemonade during a <laughs> halftime show so, at this particular juncture. So, but this, so this is the, the second part of this conversation, which we're going to have to do um, pretty quickly. But so the NFL is in crisis mode right now. They still haven't really figured out how to deal with uh, people taking a knee and the anthem and all this kind of stuff. There are heated meetings going on over all over the place. I really um, recommend ESPN the magazine's long-form piece about this. It has all kinds of amazing stuff in it. And one of the things that's clear from that piece is that in the NFL offices, you know, they've recruited a lot of interesting people, people who are young, people who are women, who are really good at public affairs and public outreach and maybe helping the players get some of the social causes that they want uh, attention drawn to, drawn to and, and interested in maybe working out some compromises. And then there are the owners who are Plantation owners, basically, as far as I can tell. I mean, yes. they really are. Their, their mentality 
uh, particularly Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder, some of the people, and Bob McNair, uh, who surface in this piece, is these guys who just have no interest whatsoever in what any player's concerns are, especially black players who are concerned about Black Lives Matter, or anything like that. And, and so now they've got this, they know this conversation is going to start, right? The conversation about Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson. And so that's the next question. Okay, I'll pull the table. In between now and the Super Bowl, I'll start over here with you again, Tracy. Uh, will they invite Janet Jackson? I wish they would, but mm. they're not always known for doing exactly the right thing at the right time. So doubtful. All right. Denisha? First, I got to say thank you for uh, being a white man and saying that so blatantly and clearly that they are, in fact, plantation owners. And they are very comfortable with that. And there is no reckoning about that being their status and the way in which they earn their living. Well, Bob, um, Bob McNair, the owner of the Houston, Texas, um, at, the, at a meeting with other players— uh, this meeting that was uh, chronicled by this article said, uh, we can't, uh, this is a terrible situation. We're letting the prisoners, the inmates get control of the prison. Hmm. Uh, that's what he, that, that was his metaphor for talking about the players. So anyway, continue. Um, so thank you for that because I think that's that's important and it, and it helps to shift some things when that happens. Um, I think ultimately we're in a really capitalist, greedy, amoral time. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if she showed up. Tell us about the money. Oh, so, oh, Carolyn, you have a solution. I you do. Have a solution. I yeah, I said if kind of I brilliant. was staging this, I would have her there as a surprise and flip the tables, have her have you know, cause uh, Justin Timberlake to have a little wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> would you just pull his top off, or are you talking about pulling his pants down? No, I mean, I think there are like different ways you could handle it, you yeah. know? <laughs> so many options. Yeah, so many options. And I, I mean, I guess you it would be like... You could do a like, Prince bum action. Yeah, Whoa. yeah. Right. You know? She's oh, referring gosh. to the fact that um, uh, well before this, I think I was just told on the screen 13 years before this at the uh, MTV Music Awards, Prince performed with cheek-revealing pants. Mm-hmm. I'm yes. Feel, I, yes, they, and then Howard Stern. It's just said ass, like it said assless pants uh, on the screen, and that's oh not quite God. right. But that's not quite right. No, they were they, they were they, they, they were, were buttless. Yeah. I don't think there was a, there was anything between the cheeks, so I think that would right. They, but it, I still reject that term. I mean, he had, <laughs> and you know, see what I'm saying here. It's not that <laughs> see what you're it's saying. not that he was less. So what had that. happened was yeah, it was that you could <laughs> see it anyway. Um, uh, so anyway, that's a possible solution. I think it's a great idea. I don't know if they'll be smart enough to do that. If she comes up like they the Venus and DeMilo, to, I'm to, totally, totally into it. Choreographer right I'm here. A choreographer, Come on. Right. You know. right. So if you're listening, Jerry Jones, and he loves this show. I mean, he usually <laughs> probably won't listen to the podcast until this weekend. But if you're listening, Roger Goodell, Jerry Jones, I know you're big fans of the show. I can get you in touch with uh, Carolyn Payne. Mm-hmm. I want 10% of something, but uh, I don't care what. Left Shark will make an appearance. Right. Yeah. So uh, we have to move on here because Amazon feels that it is not deeply enough ingrained in your life. They have a new plan. Uh, they have a new service, which they're offering. It's called Amazon Key. Um, it, it involves uh, a couple of uh, pieces of hardware that you don't have right now. One of them is some kind of something called an Amazon Cloud Cam, I believe, uh, and then a special kind of lock. And what will happen is that when the person, the delivery person, the Amazon courier shows up with your much desired package of granola bars, which apparently Tracy with Fastenberg, is it granola bars? Everything. Everything. Um, Sadly, I'm, I'm sad. And you're not there. Um, uh, you're not there. Uh, instead of dropping it on the porch, so some shady character can make off with it, which <laughs> we'll also talk about as well. Um, the the door will open. Ultimately, the door will open. That person will be able to come in, deposit your thing, and then you leave. I mean. 
So, Tracy, part of the problem here is there's a tremendous... First of all, would you do this? You, Absolutely you, you not. Would, you would not do this. No, and I... Even though you order a lot of stuff from I Amazon. I order a lot of stuff from Amazon, like, to the point where my husband just looks at me and goes, again, what's now? Right. What is it now? And it's everything, because I'm a full-time working parent. I don't really like going to stores, and it's just easier that way. But there's no way I am giving anybody access to my house, and there's no way I'm giving some random camera access to my home because there's a way too much preschool streaking happening in my house anyway. But um, preschool I, streaking? So my real. preschooler, oh, yeah, she, yeah. you know, she's three. And so uh, they they're not going like to show it on clothes. the Jumbotron at the halftime show, but know. you never know. Um, well, but, but I still don't want, yeah, pervert. no, yeah, I just don't want Delivery man. anybody <laughs> knowing, you know, being able to click in a malfunction, anything like that. I don't want somebody else in my home when I'm not there. Even if it, if I risk, you know, losing my granola bars. All right. Uh, I don't think we're going to get anybody to endorse this, but I mean, people surprise me all the time. Tanisha, you Yeah, don't it's going to be a hard one to endorse, although I did watch a video of somebody uh, talking about it and being like, I mean, come on. You either get your stuff stolen off your porch or you just let this, you know, delivery man in. And I'm like, the stuff stolen off your porch? Like, they re- they give you returns, like yeah. refunds off of that. So You what, could lose I don't... your box or you could lose everything in your in house. Your house. <laughs> yeah, I just don't quite understand that level of... Um, concern for an order. Um, but maybe Amazon is losing a lot of money in refunds to packages that don't actually get... So they'd rather employ a fleet of drivers? Because some, something about it's only Amazon drivers that can be in your house. It's not your FedEx guy or your UPS guy or anything. Right. 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 Although Amazon wants to expand this and hopes that you'll use it in other ways. And the other thing about this, I don't know, I, like, I, I only I read a little bit more about this. I mean, it turns out that Amazon already has things like dog walkers and house cleaners. There's a whole home services oh, wow. division of Amazon. So ultimately, you could let all Do kinds of people in. Do they have babysitters? I don't know. You really want an Amazon babysitter anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Is that a serious uh, question? Yeah. Dog walker? Um, I, I, so here's where I kind of stand on. So I, I, my neighborhood has uh, suffered from a lot of porch package thieves. Uh, it's something that I follow on the West End Living Facebook group, which I'm probably going to get like kicked out of now for revealing the inner workings of it. Um, but there's, it feels like every day someone's complaining about their package getting stolen. And uh, recently, I had a package opened, and the person decided that what I ordered wasn't good enough. <laughs> That's really hurtful. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, fine, I'll take my mermaid tail. <laughs> my Halloween costume. But they like oh. left it there. It was like open. They had opened it up, like looked at it, and were like, oh, this is pathetic, and like put it back in the box. And <laughs> well, left if you're it a professional porch. thief, a mermaid tail is not that useful to you because you, know, you I need don't know. To be able the West to... End also had an umbrella thief like a year or oh, so wow. ago yeah. who was stealing. But then what's the resale market? And maybe on an, this a mermaid is just tail? a city thing. You know, I don't have that issue, and we order a lot of stuff from Amazon. Right, and I we've yet to have anything. I mean, knock on all the woods, right? The holidays now, now are coming people up. Are like, Where but like, we've never had that. That so, issue? like, here's my thing with yeah. this. Like, I I live in a multifamily house, so I have a door that doesn't lead into like my home proper. So, would that be like, would this involve that they could just kind of get the package inside my? Front foyer? door, the foyer, and how would your other folks, the other tenants, feel about that too? Well, they we don't share a door, in, okay, in but my... I mean, even the the common area. Well, I I, 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 I think don't this know. is an interesting question because <laughs> like... I mean, the vast majority of people who have porch thefts are people who in are it. living in the way that she describes, or in apartment buildings. I mean, and not always in the city too. I mean, my son was living in a place for a while where I mean, you know, you really wouldn't want to try to deliver a package there. 
Um, and, but I mean, this service seems much more set up for somebody with a $475,000 house, right? I mean, you're going to have the, this camera in there and this very special, I mean, there's two brands of lock that you can use. It has to be one of these two brands. I mean, I don't think anybody, you I know. I feel like it's got to be even bigger than that. Yeah. I know like this sounds very odd, but it feels like it's, it's really meant for people who have staff. And so, like, having someone to open the door isn't strange because there are plenty of people who open the door. Right. And you can't just get the My staff person to show is, up. Like, let's say I ordered furniture or something from Amazon. Would they also assemble it? Like, could that be, like, the next level for this? Because that would make it very interesting. They might have that service, actually. Oh, well, I feel like they, I've seen that. I should have been using that. <laughs> so, the, so the person, I mean, in some ways. A life where you do nothing. You don't <laughs> shop. You don't put anything together. You don't even bring your package inside. Somebody else is going to do it. Yeah. Listen, not, not to tell skills, tales out of school, but one day she showed up here with, uh, she's got a watch that's sort of like my Fitbit, and she'd taken 375 <laughs> steps all day. And it was like, it was 8 o'clock at night. Uh, all right. That's and that's, that, that's hard to do. I mean, Stephen Hawking takes more than 375 <laughs> steps a day. So, um, so. Um, Done it again. But, so, I mean, I think that this is sort of, I mean, almost literally a Trojan horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't think they really care about this that much. Obviously, they would, I, and I think, Tanisha, you're right, that the kind of person they're talking about is a pretty upscale person who, you know, is has a lot of people looking after them in various ways. I, mean, I don't know whether they have staff or not. But I, I, do, I do think that what they want is to get inside your house. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not inside your house. They want you to have that camera for lots of other reasons. I mean, they're pretty open about that. Mm-hmm. There's even a thing where they... You can have one of their cameras in their closet, in your closet, and it'll watch what you're putting on and stuff like that. What? I mean, yeah. it's an extension uh, no, of Alexa, no. and Alexa never turns off. I mean, right? Oh yeah, and we have one, so and it's, it's creepy. It's a very weird way to set up a surveillance society, and trying to introduce it to you as a service, which I think that to me is the scariest thing, and I think that's why instincts for them like absolutely not. I will never have this, even if my I do have a staff of ten. I'll just make that person show up and pick up the package because I just think that. <laughs> There's a certain <laughs> level of privacy that we all should um, demand. Right. And it's interesting. You guys are uh, comparatively, as I made it, as I pointed at the beginning, a kind of young panel for us. I mean, you're all pretty young. And you people are the people who are supposedly surrendering up your privacy much more readily, right? I mean, the, you're willing to communicate about yourself on social media and stuff like that in a way that— But we're that, not. I mean, that's yeah. a whole other conversation. Right. But we're really not. <laughs> um, but, but, <laughs> but yes. But, but if anybody should be willing to do this, it should be you and not— paranoid baby boomers like me. Um, so if you guys don't like it, that's an indication that they have a ways to go. But what they want, I don't think they care about whether you get those particular pa- packages. They want to get inside mm-hmm. your house in every possible way. When you way. put yeah. it that way, that is the most disturbing. Right. Right. You know, Those boots are looking a little old. Here are some exactly. suggestions for you. Exactly. You're running low on diapers. Should we add them to your cart? Well, and, and Facebook does that Anyway, yeah, right. you know, it's just you mention something, you're talking to somebody, and then you like look at your phone, and there's an ad for that. That is uncomfortable. I'm going to sound like such a conspiracy theorist, so so please excuse me. But I just think it is all an attempt to make a society that does not think for themselves, does not do for themselves, Mm -hmm. does not question or wonder or have to be accountable to even themselves. It's just so. Creepy. It is creepy. I, <laughs> I, I will tell you this. I, I bought a new uh, laptop last weekend. I didn't buy it through la- uh, through Amazon because 
after I had researched everything and read all the reviews and everything, I was more confused than ever. And so I just went to Best Buy and found some random guy and said, what should I get? And he said, get this. And I was done. It's um, like the video store. Right. I'd read, I'd read, I'd read thousands of words of reviews by this point. And then I wound up, this guy said, how about this? It just came in. I said, okay, fine. So, but anyway, so it's a pretty new, it's a very new laptop. And when I started it up, it turns out to have um, a new feature where the minute you boot the laptop up, these little red lights start blinking next to the camera. And it does facial recognition on you, mm-hmm. and that's instead of typing in your password. And I like it was all happening as I was like introducing uh. myself to this laptop. It started blinking. I said, "Well, wait a minute." I, like, no, I had this. I don't want to get to know you that well. Right. I don't want to do facial recognition. Like, but it was too late. I mean, like, it had already taken a picture of me, and now that's how I get to use my laptop if I look enough like myself. Uh, I mean, there's sort of a default feature that's another. But Which I thought aside, it's the it's the reason why I have no intention of. I actually think I might leave iPhone on. I've been with iPhone since they first came out. Mm. The facial recognition's got me like right. No thanks. And I, I do feel that. I mean, that you're right. Basically, I, I don't know exactly what kind of mind control they're they're they want to do, but they certainly want to be in our lives. Taking pictures of us and you know knowing a lot more about us and how we look like when we what we look like when we get up in the morning and log onto our computers than we want them to. All right, I'm getting ordered to take a break. We got to talk about Mindhunter so we can scare you even more. <laughs> All right, we are back. Mindhunter is a relatively new series on Netflix. Uh, it is the story of one or possibly two FBI agents uh, who are in the late 1970s pioneering uh, the idea of profiling. They don't even have a good term for serial killer. They call them sequence killers because serial killer just hasn't taken off yet. Uh, and so you're watching that process unfold, and they have a lot of meetings with, well, sequence killers. Uh, you're going to hear um, a conversation between the young protagonist, whose name is Holden Ford in the series, and a guy named Ed, just a regular guy named Ed, except Ed is a mass killer. He is, um, in fact, the, uh, the actor embodiment of a real mass killer. So they're um, in prisoner, and they're in prison talking uh, back and forth. You'll hear Holden, and you hear, and the first person you hear, though, is Ed, who is this towering, uh, but kind of lump of a serial killer. Well, I'll be honest, I don't get many visitors. When I do, you think they want to talk about this It's like if you worked at a slaughterhouse with livestock, real conversation stopper. T- did you? No, I'm just saying people who hunt other people for a vocation, all we want to talk about is what it's like. Right, sure. It's not easy butchering people's hard work. Physically and mentally, I don't think people realize you need to vent. What are you writing down? Oh, I just think it's an interesting choice of words. Vocation. Well, what would you call it? A hobby? I'd say it's more than that. Look at the consequences. The stakes are very high. Is this helping? Are you getting what you came for? I think. Good. Can I, well, can I just ask you something? Do you believe the prison can help you? Are you kidding? You think you shouldn't be in prison? I think it's shutting the barn door after the horse has bolted somewhat. All right. So, um, Tanisha, I feel like this is one of the strangest series I've ever watched, and I've kind of toggled back and forth between 
liking it and disliking it. I, I guess I want to hear everybody's just overall take on, on, on how they're feeling about Mindhunter right now. So I probably won't be picking it up <laughs> after these uh, four episodes. But I am not into crime series in general, so I don't know if this is, is actually for me. And I pitched this to my dad, who is like a avid Law & Order person, like so much so that he watches the reruns and like knows the words. He's seen them so many times. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I think that there's probably a universe where that uh, – where it's interesting to that kind of watcher and also something that they talk about uh, in the series, I think it's also something that people who love like 48 hours or the, or the first 48 uh, would be into also. Um, but for me, I'm actually just interested in how people find these things. And maybe it's because I'm still connected to the cord, like I'm a cable television watcher. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and so unless a think piece comes around that goes, oh, you should pay attention to this thing happening on Netflix or Hulu, I would like never know it existed. Um, so I guess, yeah, so I, I I will not watch it, I don't think, again. Although I think my partner probably is into it, so I may <laughs> be watching some of it through osmosis. Um, but yeah, not my... Well, in a way, though, like in a way, Tracy, I feel like this series kind of violates a lot of the traditions and norms of series like Law and Order. Mm -hmm. I think I mm -hmm. said the first email I sent about this, I said, I really don't need ever again to watch another scene. There's a woman's body laid out on a slab, and there's one detective who's just like step for step with the ME, and the other detective's out in the hall retching. And I mean, like, there's so many conventions that we've right. seen. And this series is kind of not like that. In some ways, it's more a series about guys talking about stuff and it's more a series about how bureaucracies function and more a series about the weird status of the FBI in our society, which is really different from a lot of other law enforcement agencies. I think it's only kind of marginally a series about the thing that it's supposed to be about, but that could be just me. I don't know. I think it's about both. I mean, I, I was sitting there Googling, you know, various sequence killers like Mr. Kemper mm. um, and, and sort of like, oh, I remember reading about him, you know, in, in college because I was a criminal justice major, but I don't do that anymore. So <laughs> sort of lose a lot of that, you know, all of that learning. Um, but I thought it was really interesting watching the characters interact. And and I think one of the things we talked about is how it, whether it's unintentionally or intentionally hilarious, because some of the conversations were just so just like the pace of them, the tempo, the the actual words were hilarious. Well, that con this conversation we just heard was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. It also yeah. upends a lot of norms. In other words, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's so many conventions and, and iconic scenes that we're very familiar with. And, you know, I mean, one of them obviously forever is Jodie Foster going to talk to Anthony Hopkins, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. Hannibal Lecter is very withholding. You have to earn every little disclosure that he's willing to give you. And we have kind of the reverse of this. We have this big, lumpy kind of irresistibly, you know, loser kind of guy who who's his big thing there is that most people don't want to talk to him about what he really wants to right. talk about, which is butchering people. He's and dying to talk about yeah, it. He's he loves just what so he does. I think that actor is spectacular. He is oh, yeah. He, he, yeah. That's that. He's my favorite. The show is, was at its best for me when he was on screen. His name is Cameron something. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. But, but yeah, he's, he's terrific. It's a very weird cast, too. It's a cast of, yes, obviously if you... If you the, the young lead, the guy who plays Holden Ford, was in Spring Awakening, and then I think he was George the Third in in Hamilton. But I mean, in terms of like known people, you know, I mean, you might recognize the woman from Fringe or something, maybe. Right. But I mean, this is not. Guy. not you recognize the executive producer before you recognize right. any of the right. faces on right. the screen. It's so true. this is a David Fincher jam. We haven't said that name yet. Um, and Charlize Theron. Yes, and Charlize Theron. Uh, and. 
And I think tonally, I mean, we were talking out in the newsroom before this, like everything that David Fincher makes is basically mm-hmm. a horror movie, right? I mean, like The Social Network was a horror movie. Mm-hmm. It just was about right. Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but this, I don't know. Do you, first of all, are you agreeing that this is funny? I mean, that this is yeah, funny? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like it either should have pushed one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like I do think that it has a lot of funny moments, but it was like kind of it, – it, it's kind of that humor where it's done – it's just kind of like thrown in there to pepper it up a little. I felt like to me this I, – I had a lot of trouble with the first episode. Like there was just – it dragged. Like I had trouble getting into it. By the second and third, I was like, okay, I see where we're going. But the the scenes with Kemper, the where he's interviewing Kemper, and, and these moments of – the, the little, like, comedy and the way it's done, I think the comedy is done so well because it's so dry. Like, and it's just stuck in there and you, you find yourself laughing during a show that you don't expect. But I'm not, I'm not hooked on it. I agree with Tanisha. Like, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch any more of this. Like, I don't really have – I wasn't grabbed in. And I am a crime and, like, anything with murder I will sit and watch. Like, <laughs> I watched Making a Murder in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's – this really fascinating show right now on Oxygen about the disappearance of Maura Murray, which, like, she was a young woman about, I think we were about the same age, and she just disappeared one day. She drove up to New Hampshire, and her car was found, but they never really knew what happened to her. I've been, like, sucked into this documentary on TV, and, like, I will sit and watch crime stuff, and this, I felt, there was nothing, the, the moments of humor were there to, like, hold my interest or attempt to, but it either needed to have more excitement, more humor. There needed to be something more. I see. I think I need to clarify that the reason I'm not watching is because it actually is creepy to me and I don't like creepy TV. See, I feel and like so it's I not creepy it definitely, enough. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's totally creepy to me. And I and I think it's creepy because it does do what, uh, with Kemper, it humanizes these mm-hmm. individuals in a way that I'm just not ready to like absorb, you know. He's like, human. I mean, he's still incarcerated. He yeah, he's, yeah. He's still kicking around yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. I I would argue that this is also it's very much a movie about a period. So it's, it takes place mm-hmm. in the late '70s. It was an, interesting as last week I was talking about 20th century women, which takes place at almost exactly the same moment of this movie. It's a time of great social change, um, and 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 the FBI always kind of lags behind anyway, right? There, there's sort of this sense that. I mean, in the, in the opening episode, young Holden Ford uh, meets a much more bohemian. I mean, anybody would be much more bo- bohemian, <laughs> but he meets yes. a more bohemian woman in a bar who's going to become his romantic interest. Uh, they have a little back and forth, and at one point, she said to him, says to him, "You look like a Mormon," um, and of course. He does in terms of how he's dressed and what his haircut is like and none of it's really appropriate for the late 1970s. If you sort of think about de- depictions of other FBI agents in movies and particularly say like Willem Dafoe and Mississippi Burning mm-hmm. where he really looks like a Mormon. Um, but, and there's that sense, right, that these FBI agents, they're just lagging behind every possible cultural index. On the other hand, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, they're trying even trying to go f- figure out what's going on with social change. And, and so to me, a lot of the conversations that they have, sometimes with serial killers and sometimes just among themselves, are maybe about very traditional kind of men in the 1970s just trying to figure out what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so with it, well, actually, let's play a little clip uh, about, uh, of this. this is, so eventually Holden, the young man, is um, paired up with a younger and far more traditional FBI agent named Bill Tench. Um, 
who really does have that kind of FBI crew cut uh, and is uh, smoking so constantly that it kind of drives you crazy after a while. It does. Um, it does. Forget so, that people could smoke on airplanes. Right, like that exactly. Was, yeah. so, so here they are. In the dark, huh? We are. I have studied everything we have to offer. I've taken this ride out here with you, listened to everything that you've been kind enough to teach me, but I still think we are talking about something that we don't understand in the slightest. I was trying to help you. If you don't like it, go back to your bedwetting college kids and we'll forget all about it. Ada Jeffries and her son were killed for reasons we are simply not equipped to understand. It wasn't lust murder. It wasn't some random thrill killer who was born bad, and it wasn't a panty thief who wanted to change things up. It was an aberration. Let me tell you something about aberrant behavior, Holden. It's aberrant. If we understood it, we'd be aberrant too. Fortunately, it's not incumbent upon us to write a dissertation. Well, maybe we should. Um, you know, I, it is being, being suggested to me from the control room. They're also me. Once again, this is an unusually young nose group. I'm not sure 1977 or 1978 is necessarily all that meaningful to you guys. You know, I mean, it, it, in a way, the way that this looks back, it looks back at a time that I just, it hadn't really occurred to me, but you probably hadn't been born yet or something, right? Right. Yeah. No. Well, we, no. No. But I think Sorry. what was interesting to me in that first episode was the fact that there was so much like, easy sexual harassment happening and it just like Mm -hmm. hit in a way that I was like I don't I think this was okay then perhaps like I I don't know um are they trying to make a statement because it's clearly not it doesn't seem purposeful so I think there's a lot of of that nostalgia of the time period that is lost on me and it had me questioning a lot more which is maybe why I also felt um detached from mm-hmm. it because I just was like I don't know if you're trying to make a social right. commentary on what's happening now or if really things right. were It wasn't as blatant as like say <laughs> Mad Men where it was like in your face mm-hmm. the sort of behavior where they sort of like smacked you and smacked you again with it and saying look how different it was you know but it was just it wasn't subtle though either right. it was just like a touch he- heavier than that mm-hmm. so I, I mean I've been struggling with this series too and, and I think I am going to stay with it just because I'm so interested in somebody trying to do something different with this. And I think they are teasing at some some really interesting things. I mean, uh, and maybe another one of them is the kind of weird status that the FBI has in our society. You know, they're not like police. I mean, in some ways, they are more differentiated from society than any law enforcement agency. There's a way in which they really exist kind of apart. And when they're depicted in movies, that's often the case. They exist kind of apart. They're almost not one of us. Uh, And... On the other hand, we've never really settled in our mind what that means. Are they, in some ways, I think we see them at certain times as instruments of true justice and people who really believe in a code. You know, I think that's true right now with with James Comey and Robert Mueller. There's this sense that these guys will stand up to anybody, you know, and and that they really believe in their institution and anybody who tries to mess with it uh, is going to be in a lot of trouble. But we also remember J. Edgar Hoover who would compromise people, you know, any – one of the panelists just crossed her fingers when I said that. And, you know, J. Edgar Hoover. I mean, the other the other way that we understand them is the man, the man in, in some of his worst, you know, extremities. I mean, in some ways, you know, Mississippi Burning is about FBI agents going to, down there to enforce civil rights laws and try to help the civil rights movement. But we don't always see the FBI that way, too. And so there's, yeah, there's a sort of an otherness that, that they're exploring there. There's an otherness. And I think, you know, what is what I hope doesn't happen with this series, and it seems just starting to be teased out, is that there is, in fact, an aberrant nature to, to one of the agents. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I uh, am interested in an imperfect um, 
man in these positions. I'm, mm. in, I'm interested in that. But I also am not interested and don't want to go into the idea that in order to fight uh, – crimes you have to in your heart be a criminal too and it feels like yeah, it's in order going to understand in that. monsters like there's a part of you <laughs> that, that is, has yeah. to be a monster um, um, Dexter type of thing yeah. yeah which i mean as an actor i always say that you know someone said you know there's a little i may have been dreyfus actually who said that there's a little hitler in all of us and i think that is to a certain level true but i don't know how engaged i am in the idea that these others these these um these officers of the law that are that are you know, hierarchically above a police officer can work beneath and around the law in a way that allows them to, to sort of delve into their worst behavior, which is, seems to be happening with the Jonathan Groff character in a right. way. Right. Well, and I think, you know, the the thing with like crime dramas, there's nothing, there's just so many and there's been so much. There's not a lot new you can do. And I think the whole push with this show was that this was going to be like a new take on it. And I think that that's where it fell short to me. Like I felt that there was a lot that, especially as they started to tease that and this character. I don't think there's a whole lot new that you can do. I mean, they achieved it structurally for sure. Sure. You know, um, but you, you definitely always think about the the law enforcement officer who has the anger problem or the this right. problem, the drinking problem, the coping mechanism problems. And so you just hope it, I understand, hoping that it doesn't go down that path. But I believe that he's also, I mean, based off of a... a the people who wrote the book. The, right. So, you yeah. know, so I think that there's hopefully there wasn't like an over dramatization to make it, you know, more scintillating to the rest of us. And I like the fact that there's a historical aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. sort of that research yeah. aspect and the fact that, you know, how criminal criminal justice and sort of the philosophy behind it evo- has evolved to include a little more sociology as opposed to black and white cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Because that's sort of where we see a lot of butting heads even today and when we talk about the justice system and criminal justice and incarceration and all of that. So I think it's sort of timely in that respect. Jonathan is reminding me that the, the Scott Glenn guy in Silence of the Lambs, the profiler guy, is based on this this guy, this real guy who wrote this book. Who uh, and, and the other series that this so closely resembles that, that I'm like the only person on earth who watched – was uh, called, I think, Man Manhunter or Manhunt, uh, the Unabomber, and it, it, this also ran this year. Uh, it on was about Netflix. The, but it was on no, it was on Discovery. I think it was mm-hmm. like some weird channel like that, and and it was about the hunt for the Unabomber. It had a very it was very similar kind of dynamic to it in the sense that it was about a real life FBI agent, the guy who really did track down the Unabomber and who turned out to be, in certain ways anyway, a little bit more like the Unabomber than he was ultimately comfortable being. And to me, that's one of the, I mean, just to go back to the notion of drama, Tanisha, to me, all of these things ask kind of the Macbeth question, which is, were you going to be that person no matter what? Or did you turn into that person because of the circumstances into which you drifted, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we never – I mean, you could come down on either side about Macbeth. You can come down on either side about this character, the Jonathan Groff character here. Was he always this kind of weird guy or did he get weirder and weirder because he was working on this? I think that is the beauty of the series and I think that's why it creeps me out and why I don't know if I can stick with it because I think it does in fact go down that path of our darker selves and asks us a lot of questions in a way that a law and order is much more patent in its structure. Mm. Here's the crime. We're going to solve it. Hooray. This really is you know, a character study um, about 
it seeming like Jonathan Groff, but also about about these men. We have yet to see a woman yet. Um, these men who commit these massive crimes, and in a time like this, where we are all we are always sort of trying to find the answer, it's an interesting uh, study. All right. Wait, we should take a break here, so we'll have plenty of time to recommend things to you. That's um, Mindhunter. So depending on how you feel about it, if you love David Fincher, you kind of have to watch it because it's the latest expression of Fincherism. Uh, anyway, we'll be back to recommend. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants with help from me, Kyone Wolf. The part of Bill Curry was Tito Jackson. On Monday, we'll be back with news from over the weekend on The Scramble. And now, back to Colin. All right. So uh, here we are. Uh, we're moving towards the end of a wonderful nose with our uh, apparently very young panel. No, we didn't even notice this until they came in here. Tracy Wu Fastenberg, Tanisha Dugan, and Carolyn Payne. Um, <laughs> And uh, so it's time to recommend things to you. Uh, why don't we start over here with Tracy Wu Fastenberg? So uh, the school that I work at, Covenant Preparatory School, recently lost our founding board chair. Um, he passed away, and he was sort of an amazing gentleman in the fact that he did everything he could to help our boys sort of change the trajectory of their lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, he lived in a way that was sort of like stuffing like five years into one bag, you know, for for a day, and and. Um, and I sort of want to encourage everybody to do that. He he did that in a way that not only framed his interests but also and his success, but also was always a handout to somebody else to help them up and expecting a lot of himself and of, of other people. And so um, just sort of a reminder that, you know, as we go about our daily lives to add something else and maybe do something else for someone. All right. That's an unusual recommendation and one that we appreciate, I think. Sure. Well, I love being told I'm young at 35, so holla at that. Um, I'm actually going to endorse um, something because I do not, I have not pulled the plug. And so this is a, a cable series, um, and I'm going to endorse the woman and the show. Uh, showrunner Tanya Saracho, um, which is just amazing to say because you don't see too many of hers running shows and executive producing. And the show is called Vida. Uh, and it will be premiering in 2018. So look out for that on Stars, because um, it's just kind of incredible um, that story. And she and she did a uh, fade for us at TheaterWorks. And so um, shout out to her and her success, because that's pretty awesome. Uh, and the obligatory, but I love also the Wolves is is happening right now. If you want to see ten women. Um, talking about what it is to be a woman today um, and some soccer in there too. Come check us out. I'm very excited. I haven't seen it yet. It's directed by my friend and collaborator, one-time collaborator, That's Eric true. Ward. That's so true. I can't wait to rush over and see it, but I haven't gotten there yet. All right. Um, I am uh, endorsing, first of all, as w the show I mentioned, that Disappearance of Maura Murray is really fascinating and it is an interesting look at uh, true crime uh, and the woman who is the host of it and kind of delves into the investigation. Uh, she's an NPR producer and uh, she's about the age of 
uh, what who what Maura Murray would be now had she not disappeared. So she has a very interesting perspective. So check it out if you like if you're a big fan of true crime. And it, what network? It's on you? Oxygen, which Oxygen. is such a weird thing to be endorsing. <laughs> but um, they're trying to change it up, though. Yeah, there, yeah, so. they're trying to like not be the like budget lifetime. And I, I think that this is like an interesting um, direction for them. So definitely. Give that a look. And also I want to endorse uh, the 5 by 5 Dance Festival is coming up uh, next weekend, November 4th. Um, there are dance companies from all throughout Connecticut performing. And there are, uh, if you are a dancer, there are master classes. And then they are doing site-specific performances and um, some talkbacks. And one of the talkbacks I will be at uh, talking about uh, the creation of my Nutcracker Sweet and Spicy. And it's uh, different. And what makes it so different and why it is a interesting part of uh, the Nutcracker history. And where do we find this? Where, how, um, where does it happen? You can go, it's at uh, St. Joseph College on oh. Saturday, November 4th. So you can just Google 5 by 5 Dance Festival at St. Joseph. That sounds very interesting. All right, I'm going to um, endorse, uh, first of all, a column by Roger Cohen of the New York Times. Roger Cohen of the New York Times, his column usually isn't in the physical paper of the New York Times. He And he writes from Europe often about European issues. I, I, I think he's kind of under underplayed a little bit. He has a wonderful column today called A Quiet and Modest Life. It isn't really about one thing. It's about a lot of different things and, and it's very much uh, about how to live. And um, anyway, I would just endorse tracking that down online, A Quiet and Modest Life. And then, I, I mean, maybe I don't even need to endorse this because we spent all of Tuesday talking about it, but um, but I, I will endorse rags uh, at, hmm. uh, at good speed. I mean, it's really kind of a lovely little... Hey. I'm, <laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, there's no. You know, I didn't have to do it. You know. <laughs> um, so it, it really is a kind of a lovely. Uh, pl- I went down there as I said before uh, uh, on a Friday night, and I was kind of in a bad mood. It's like ah, oh, it's the end of the week. I got to go to this play. It's going to be long. It's kind of, and then it really was kind of enchanting. I mean, it's about some very serious things, and I suppose there's some ways that I could actually kind of put, pick it apart a little bit. But on the whole, I just found Strauss's Charles Strauss's. Music uh, and Stephen Schwartz's lyrics to be wonderful. It's a great cast, and so yes, I had to cast some shows that Rogero. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that, that, that yes, that that Robert Rogero guy, uh, he does know what he's doing. So uh, those are my two endorsements. I also quickly, if you um, if you read the New Yorker, the piece about the Sackler family. The Sackler family are these incredible philanthropists who have rooms named after them in every great artistic or cultural institution in America. They're also basically the people who started the opioid crisis, according to this uh, article. That's where they got all their money. Um, I didn't even realize that OxyContin, the word content, it's continuous. That's what it actually means. Maybe that's like an idiotic eureka moment. I didn't realize what content meant in OxyContin. Anyway, lots of other little tidbits like that in that piece. All right. Thanks to Carolyn Payne and Tanisha Dugan and Tracy Wu Fastenberg. Thanks to everybody else who worked on the nose. We'll be back on Monday.